Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and our topic today is safety on campus. We have three guests in the studio from Middleway House with us is Liz Hannibal. She works in crisis intervention uh, from the Office of Women's Affairs. Carol McCord is with us. And from IU Sexual Assault Crisis Services, Debbie Malone Ruiz. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's a, a very serious topic. We, we've discussed it before, but I guess we can never say enough about it. Um, I, I thought we'd start by having each of you sort of talk about your organization and you know what the organization does. So start with Liz. Okay. Um, again, my name is Liz Hannibal. I am the Crisis Intervention Services Coordinator with Middleway House. Um, Middleway House is a domestic violence program and rape crisis center um, here in Bloomington. Um, we offer 24-hour <coughs> services to victims of sexual assault as well as domestic violence. Um, trained advocates are on call all day and night to serve victims and provide them with supportive services. Our advocates can accompany victims to the emergency department as well as the police department for evidentiary exams as well as police reports. Um, we also offer a sexual assault support group um, for both IU students and community members. Um, what else can I say? So all of your services extend both to um, local citizens as well as anybody on yes, campus. definitely. Okay. And I, I would think mo- most people in, in Monroe County certainly are familiar with Middleway because mm-hmm. uh, it's been here for I'm not sure how long. Over 35 Thir- years. 35 mm-hmm. years. Over 35 years. And of course, Toby Strout's very active in the community and various other people are, who work with Middleway, Charlotte Zillow, mm-hmm. are very active. So it's a very well-known um, community asset. And Carol McCord is with the Office of Women's Affairs on campus. Might be a little less known off campus anyway. Shh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be a stealth organization. But. No, uh, first I want to say I actually am just really delighted that Middleway is in the community. Many years before I was in this office, I worked on the task, the original mayor's task force to help develop, get Middleway started in a larger form. And I remember back when Middleway was funded primarily by those coffee cans we had mm-hmm. all over the place. So we as a community in supporting Toby and Toby and her staff and all their work have come a long way. We're really fortunate to have it. Those services are really helpful for our students because it's nice for our students to have the choice to have services either on or off campus. Um, our office is a little less likely a, um, a suspect in terms of being involved in this type of topic. Office of Women's Affairs was charged about the same time as um, Middleway started, actually, I just realized, with helping to overcome, identify and overcome any barriers or obstacles to um, uh, equity of opportunity for women on campus. And obviously, fearing for your safety and experiencing assaults on your safety are fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a social worker, and my area of expertise was programming in this. This is how I got involved with this through our office. We run a um, peer-presented program on sexual assault um, awareness for students on campus by students. And we brought in a grant and helped support bringing on a program during orientation for students. So all incoming students have the opportunity to actually do attend that program as part of their orientation. Other than that, we're involved sort of as advocates in helping to make sure that women who are assaulted or experience um, stalking, assault, any actually any type of violence on campus or fear or threat of that, get the services they need either on or off campus. So in that way, I interface with Middleway and with um, SACS and with CAPS and with IEPD and with the Dean of Students Office, et cetera, et cetera. So SACS would be the Sexual Assault Crisis Services Office. Service Office? Services? Services, Services. right. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> Debbie, can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, SACS is a part of CAPS, which is uh, CAPS is Counseling and Psychological Services on campus, which is housed at the Health Center. And um, we have two professional counselors who are the um, SACS counselors. We have a 24-hour crisis line, and one of us responds to um, calls on the crisis line. And then we also see individuals who have been um, sexually assaulted in our offices for for short-term or long-term counseling. Um, We try to offer a group um, each year as well. And then we, um, the other part of our job is 
kind of doing the networking and interfacing with all the other um, systems and departments on and off campus that may be first-line responders to um, victims. We also do a lot of work um, collaboratively with other departments on campus as well as the community um, offices related to increasing awareness and hopefully working toward producing prevention and reducing the incidence. Mm-hmm. We're being kind of, uh, we're welcoming all of our freshmen back to campus right now. And um, <clears throat> this is a group that I, I think for their parents, especially, there, there's a lot of concern because this is a new environment for them and they'll be facing um, challenges and and interactions that they maybe have never had to um, encounter, have never encountered before. And, and some of those could, um, I'm sure every parent has a concern that there will be some kind of sexual violence or, or, or violence period um, involved in that. So what kind of things do you have focused just toward incoming freshmen? Um, we Middle Way House has actually been distributing flyers this past week. Um, during Welcome Week, um, we really targeted Wednesday since that was move-in day. Um, just with prevention information, you know, what do parents need to know? What do students need to know? Um, and we don't want to do this as a fear tactic. Our purpose wasn't to go out there and scare all of our parents and scale, scare all of our incoming students. Um, so, you know, we were distributing bottles of water, flyers, just with some information on what students can do to keep themselves safe. And I think when you talk about this, it's important that you don't um, go into a victim-blaming, you know, game. So, you know, we let students know it's important that, you know, if you're out partying, which is absolutely okay, it's expected. You know, you're a freshman, you're coming here, and we know what happens. But if you're out partying, hold on to your drink. You know, make sure that if you pour your drink, you keep that drink with you. You don't leave it. Um, stick with friends. We encourage people to stay with groups um, and to not isolate yourselves. Um, and I think most importantly, if you if you think something is going on, you know, if you feel like someone may be, you know, being victimized or sexually assaulted, you know, do something about it. Make sure you're doing that in a safe way. You're not putting yourself in danger, but don't just let it happen. Ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away and you could be saving a life. Yeah. Do you think that um, everybody has a cell phone now? Do you think that those give kind of a false sense of security to people? I think in a way that they may. Um, And I think, you know, you're also looking at, you know, are people actually making that call? You Mm -hmm. know, you have it with you. You know, you think um, that, you know, you have it and you you can make that. You can make that call if you need to, but does it actually ever happen? And also, um, I've read somewhere that when it comes, you know, if someone is walking and they have a cell phone, someone's talking, a cell phone is not a very good way to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not as aware of your surroundings. And, you know, we know that one of the myths with sexual assault and rape is that it happens in a dark alley by a stranger. And mm-hmm. um, that's definitely not the case. I believe it's, I want to say, 73% of victims know their assailant. So I think cell phones, you know, when I talk about that, I don't want to say that the rape only occurs when you're walking down a dark alley talking on your cell phone, but I do think that they probably do Mm -hmm. um, cause a sense sense of... Yeah, I want to follow up on one thing that you you said because I think it's it's sort of a new phenomenon or a newer phenomenon, and that is when you said that women should keep a hold of their drinks. Mm -hmm. I assume you mean so somebody doesn't slip a Mm -hmm. date rape drug into it. I mean, how how prevalent is that? How often does that... Well, it, it isn't just uh, somebody putting a drug in it. Um, uh-huh. It's really uh, we, we, I think all three of us would agree that alcohol is the number one rape uh-huh. drug. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh-huh. so at a lot of these parties, there's kind of this um, nebulous punch that's served. Oh, yeah. And so people yeah. don't know what's in that. Uh-huh. And so that's the kind of thing that we tell um, incoming students to, to know what you're drinking. And uh-huh. so the, the best way to know what you're drinking is that you open a container and you hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way, you know, you're, you're aware of what the okay. contents are. Because if somebody gives you a, a glass of punch, you have no idea how much alcohol is in there or if there is any other substance mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's also harder to keep track of how much you've had to drink. Right. Right. Um, and that can be another issue. But I wanted to go back, if I could, to something that you were saying um, Mary Catherine, Liz responded to about cell phones. It's interesting when we have this incoming flux of students and back during orientation, I speak with parents and parents, number one concern, as far as we've come as a culture and understanding that most victims know their perpetrators, Mm -hmm. their assailant. We still haven't actually taken that in as parents in parenting. 
And so parents still say to me, well, how safe is this community? And how safe would my child be walking across campus? And my child has a cell phone. And, and as Liz was saying, you know, the reality is Walking across campus is not where you're at the greatest risk. Now, I, let me hasten to add here, I do not encourage people to walk alone in dark places anywhere on campus or off. But um, the reality for sexual assault is that most of those occur at parties and they occur when people are with people they conceive of as friends or at least friends of friends. Mm-hmm. And so two, there are several problems with that. One is people don't – women don't prepare to go to parties thinking I need to, you know, gird myself for battle. We think I'm going to go to a party and have a good time. Of course we think that. And so you aren't in a mindset. So even if you are aware when you're walking on the street, you're not to be talking on the phone and all those things, then you get to the party, you let your guard down. And that's when you're actually at greater risk. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you feel like you know people, especially this first time here on campus where you don't necessarily know that many people – you feel like you know people because, you know, hey, I know Mary Catherine and she's great and she hangs out with Bob and Bob's a friend of hers, so he must be a good guy because he's a friend of Mary Catherine's mm-hmm. and she's been a friend of mine. And and so you have this sort of not guilt by association. Assumption exactly connection, though. Yeah. I mean, you assume yeah. things right. exactly. about this person that you really don't know very right. well only because of that connection. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so all of those things lead us to be in circumstances when we're on campus and new on campus to feel that we're safe when perhaps – we might be at greater risk. Debbie, you're a parent. What kind of advice have you given your own children uh, as, as they head off to have, as they headed off to school? What did you tell them? Well, I happen to be a parent of of males of sons, and so um, in terms of my my kids, kind of grew up hearing uh, <laughs> this kind of information all the way through their lives. But I think it's really important for parents of sons to talk to their male children about um, what is consent and how do you know you have consent when you're um, beginning to engage in a sexual relationship with a person. And um, so those are the kinds of things that, you know, I talked to my kids about as they were growing up. Okay. And that, that consent piece is just hallelujah. I wish more – if more parents had that kind of conversation with their sons, in fact, it's just the opposite. Parents coming to campus say, oh, I have a daughter. So I need to be attentive to this. Or they say, oh, I have a son, so I don't need to pay any attention Mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. And they're worried about people off campus. And this is a really hard thing to say, but most sexual assaults occur between, and we know this, between two people who share a great deal in common. They tend to be the same race, about the same age, about the same socioeconomic status, which means also they tend to be in college together (laughs) or they tend not to be. And that's something that's confusing. So we really are focusing on consent. So I just wanted to add, Bob, back to what you had asked originally of Liz. Our office provided bulletin boards for RAs to have in the dorms focusing on the exact issue of consent, giving a definition of consent, ex- giving examples of what consent would be, giving examples of what consent is not, so that people can start to really think about that issue. Well, let's explore that a little bit. What what did you tell your sons as far as, um, you know, if people are like, just say, I mean, I'm imagining somebody dropping their son off here at college, maybe hearing this and going, oh, you know, I really didn't cover that. I wish I would have. You know, that is an important issue. What would you recommend they say? Well, I think to talk about um, the ways in which males and females often um, read and interpret body language and what that means and and um, assumptions that males and females make about one another that may be erroneous. Um, and then to talk about, you know, it's if you are at a point where you're ready to be intimate with somebody, then you should also be ready to talk about it mm-hmm. and be able to ask, you know, is this something that you want to do? You know, and, and you can make it playful and fun in the context of, of the sexual experience and not have it be, you know, sometimes people will hear that and, and think, oh, well, do we have to get out a contract and have people, you know, write. But I think if in the right frame of mind that you can be, consent can be given in a way that is in the context of a mutually respectful relationship and, um, you know, that that can be a really positive thing. Um, but when people are impaired by alcohol, um, you know, that that's m- much more unlikely to happen. And uh, as well as in our culture, we're not very comfortable talking about sex. I mean, we, we talk about sex and we have lots of messages out there about, you know, sex sells everything. But to really talk on a one-to-one basis about what 
you and I want to do sexually together, that's not something that people are all that comfortable doing. So I think we do our children a real disservice by not giving them that kind of training before they get to college. Mm -hmm. Right. You would certainly hope that that conversation happened more than once. Yeah, exactly. And beginning at a fairly early age. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about sex of other people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and in that conversation, the way we we often talk about sex is is really not very straightforward. It's a lot of joking, and it's mm-hmm. like right. it or not, the cultural um, gender divide is still pretty strong, oh, especially with regard to this issue. Mm-hmm. And it, there is as, as much as we'd like to feel like we're you know beyond that, and it's not the case that we're now beyond the issue, the point where. Men are sometimes acculturated, most often in our society, acculturated to feel they have to be the ones to sort of push and always want sex under any circumstances at all times. And women are given such – in fact, it's worse now than it was, I'd say, in the 50s. It's a lot more ambiguous. So you, ha- you have to walk this line between – you're not just responsible for setting the boundary, although you are. But you also are responsible for not coming across as uncool or not with it. And furthermore, we now know that women – and can say women do have sexual <laughs> desires and want mm-hmm. to be sexually active. And so finding these lines, uh, the way to, to navigate this is a lot more difficult than it was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a, a complicated issue. We're talking about safety on campus, but particularly safety against sexual assault. And I, I should say, since we serve many, many counties, that if you have questions or comments about this topic, you could call us um, and talk about you know, safety in your own community, and I'm sure that we would have uh, plenty of things to say about it. Our guests, again, are Liz Hannibal from Middleway House, Carol McCord from the Office of Women's Affairs at Indiana University, and Debbie Malone Ruiz, who's from the IU Sexual Assault Crisis Services. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, we had a, a story in our newspaper yesterday, and it was sort of a you know it's an unfortunate story, obviously, that a woman was here. She's the mother of uh, a young woman who was an IU student, and her daughter had been sexually assaulted on campus. And this mother was here protesting and handing out pictures. Or she had a picture of her daughter as a four-year-old in a cheerleader outfit, and said, "Don't let sexual assault happen to your daughter." And she talked to the media and. Um, and I think in the story that we had, there was a lot of discussion, and I can't – I don't remember you know, which one of you, if any of you, were, were directly in the story. Carol was – no, maybe not. But it talked about the first three months of the campus experience and how that's a time when there's a, there is a lot of uh, this problem that occurs. So, Liz, can you address that first? Um, yes. Um, definitely, Middle Way House, we also – we do say that the first three months are definitely the busiest time for us. And – I think that there's definitely – there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think that rapists are interested in preying on people who are the most vulnerable. And unfortunately, freshmen fall into that category by no fault of their own. Um, you know, they've just left their parents' house. They're establishing new boundaries. They're learning new rules. They're in a new social environment trying to make new friends. Huge transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge mm-hmm. transition. And, you know, their goal is to find people, you know, to make friends, to have people like them. And um, they – they trust and they have a desire for new relationships. And people who perpetrate, people who commit these crimes, seek out those people. Um, I think it's you know very important that we don't blame that we don't blame the victim again for this mm-hmm. for what's happening, and that we recognize that this is a choice that a person is making when they commit this crime. Um, and you know again, these are all typical, and they're expected of freshman women. And um, the blame goes to those who are willing to who make that choice mm-hmm. to commit. This is kind of a, a, a simple question. Yeah. And, yeah. And I don't want to stereotype anybody, but do you find that the people who perpetrate these crimes generally, when, when you're talking about freshman women who are new on campus, might be older male students? Do you want to take that stereotype? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really – I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. We, it, it tends to be um, – Student, male students, obviously, yeah. and I, I just I want to just support what Liz said. We can't say that strongly enough. That one of the others talking about the culturation. One of the other myths is that she probably did something to contribute to this, and that is not something you hear when people talk about rapes that happen in a stranger situation. Mm-hmm. And it is something. So when Liz uses the term rapist or assailant or predator or perpetrator. Those are the descriptors, as painful as it is, for college students 
who are having sex with other college students without getting their consent mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're asleep, passed out, so intoxicated they can't give consent, um, so intimidated or fearful that they aren't, aren't saying anything, and that passes for, well, I didn't get a no. And the whole culture's got to change their views, as Liz is saying, to stop focusing on what did she do and focus on did he get yes before he went ahead with this. Mm-hmm. Now, in defense of men, I will say I do believe that it is extremely frustrating and difficult for men who think that they know what they're doing if they don't get a no and who think they're doing what everyone else is doing and aren't thinking of it as they don't. So, so when we talk about this, men would say, well, I'm not a rapist. I just wanted to have sex. And we think we talk about rape as a crime of power and they say, well, I, I wasn't trying to do any power. I just wanted to have sex. And so there is a real it's, – it's, this is such a difficult subject and so painful in a way to talk about because we are talking about our children who are female students and our children who are male students. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's mm-hmm. where this is happening. Um, but the issue of – that Liz is saying, the issue – the point she's making, the issue of we've got to stop looking at the women and we've got to start teaching men, I believe, mm-hmm. how exactly. to find out what it is that they do. But we do, mm-hmm. we do see that it tends to be older men and there's a culture of coming in for – it sounds awful, but fresh meat week mm-hmm. because that's what some of the – there's been a tradition historically of some guys saying that that's what this week is and coming here early so they can have parties and invite the, the young new freshmen mm-hmm. to come. I, think that, oh, I just wanted to, to add to what Carol said before I go to you, Debbie, that uh, – Thank you for defending men because you know, not all men are bad. No, um, no, no, no. I know you're not saying that. I know you're not. I know you're not. I know nobody's saying that But that needs here. to be said. Not but, all men are bad. No, but, right. it, but also I think this whole issue of alcohol comes in mm-hmm. where there are probably a lot of young men who would – after they've had several drinks – they decide what they want. They can't read the signals, and that just adds to this. this yeah, issue. Everybody's friends. judgment is impaired, but right, and but their I, friend's judgment's impaired, and the, and the whole party is impaired. And so yeah. the guys who they're watching are giving them the feedback that this is okay. So it's yeah. not just the woman who they're responding to; they're also responding to everybody else around them. Right. So, so we're all responsible for teaching our sons that there right. is no sexual entitlement. Right. That's um, well, mm-hmm. well put. Yes. Yes. And yeah. I think one of the keys to consent is consent does not mean a failure to resist. Yeah. So. So content, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in order for its silence is not, not consent, consent, right? And I think that's what we aren't teaching our sons. I think that's the goal that Middleway House has when we are out talking to students is to yes. say, if someone doesn't respond to you, it's not okay to proceed with yeah. this action. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the men, you know, just as, as women need to be aware of their surroundings and, and what alcohol yes. can do, men need to be aware that if they're at a party and they're drinking too much, that they could make they could do something that's going to shatter somebody else's life as well as their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. That's right. That they would right. never dream that of doing otherwise. Doing yeah. otherwise. And, mm-hmm. and in yeah. fact, you're absolutely right. And we have for too long, historically, the message has always been addressed to women to protect mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And in fact, of course, you have to identify somebody who is at risk for being victimized. Of course, mm-hmm. they have a reason to protect themselves. But the reality is we have to start talking to men. And I think we also need to appeal to those primarily out there good men who don't realize how serious this is and may not even be involved themselves directly but see a friend doing something and have the ability to step in and say, you know what, buddy, let's back off here and why don't you and I head out this direction? And, yeah. Um, if yeah, you really and like you know, it, I think call her tomorrow. Traditionally, yeah. women yeah. have been pretty good about the buddy system yeah. uh, for the most part. I'm certainly not everybody, but, I, you know, you head off to a party with a girlfriend and, and you do keep an eye. If one of you is drinking too much, the other one kind of goes mm-hmm. into the maternal mode mm-hmm. and, and, you know, shepherds you home. And, and I, I, have, I have seen less of that, although some, but, but less of that among men in, mm-hmm. in at least my experience. Over and we time. are really sure working on true. getting that message. Yeah. Across to men. You agree? You do think oh, that's yeah. a fair? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Poor Bob yeah. has got to re- defend all I'm, men. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to be. You're doing a good job. Yeah. yeah. Debbie, you had something. Oh, I just wanted to respond to um, a couple of things uh, that Liz was saying that, you know, as a clinician who sees um, victims after the fact, and a lot of times they will start to blame themselves of saying, I was so naive, I was so stupid to go to that party, and I, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And, and it's the, um, 
that kind of thing that we do as a culture then filters down to victims themselves taking on that same blame. And so, you know, I really work hard to help them see that, you know, of course you were naive. You were 18, and this was your first week at, at IU. There's nothing wrong with being naive. Yeah, you naive. are that's by definition. You were supposed I mean, that's to be. just where right. you are in life right exactly. now. Exactly. That what's wrong is that this other person chose to exploit that. That's right. And they knew mm-hmm. of your naivete, and they chose to exploit that. And that's what's the wrong here, not your your being naive. And we've got such a long way as a culture to go to get that message widespread. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. I I can't tell you, we're talking about students, but I will, and this will not probably sit well with my adult friends, but I have to say, I, I know a lot of really competent, intelligent, professional adults who still say and perpetrate this view. Mm -hmm. Well, did she, did she fight him off? Did she did she really work hard? Did she really say no? And what was she what was doing she there anyway? Yeah. How short was her skirt? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, have yeah. you seen how these girls dress today? Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I have say that to me. Or real the the what was she doing there anyway? Why mm-hmm. was she alone with him? Or why was she she wanted to have a good time? Did you see what she was wearing? They're all this. What I say now to people is, you know what, my twenty year old, the twenty year old female in my life is not going to go shopping with me at Talbots and Chico's. <laughs> she, and she shouldn't. Way too much yardage there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Where she goes, and I don't know if any of you done, have done it, but try going shopping in the stores that adolescents go shopping. There's way too much of me for there's, that. There's, <laughs> right. But look at the amount of material. That's yeah, exactly right. I look uh-huh. at it and I go, this is actually a shirt? This yeah. right. me Where's like, the rest know. of it? That's right. Yeah. This is a sock, I think, yeah. with, with a foot missing. But you know, that's they're just dressing like everyone else is dressing, and they have the right to want to look attractive and mm-hmm. have a good time and go to a party and have fun. And the unfair part, sometimes guys will say, well, if, if I'm drunk and I have sex with her and she's drunk, why is it my fault? It's fascinating. That really is perceived yeah. as a defense. Well, he was he was drinking too, and you know, she might not have known what she was doing, but you know, he probably didn't either. Well, you know, the only thing I feel like you can say to that is, if I'm driving drunk and Bob's walking drunk and I kill him, whose fault is that? Mm-hmm. There's never a question. Yeah. And that sense of that's perhaps men feel that's unfair, but women often say to me, "I can't go to a party and just relax," and that's unfair to them. So. The reality is this is just hard. It is hard. It's a hard cultural issue that we've Mm -hmm. been wrestled with for a long time. Older people have got – we share a burden in Mm -hmm. in creating this culture which supports the belief that men are entitled and that women need to actually actively fight them off. I would propose that in some ways we don't only share the burden but but people in our generation um, are not as sympathetic. I mean we, we didn't grow up hearing right. a lot of the educational messages mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know... But that we're expected to impart on our own yeah. children. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I think... So I, we I, have I'd like, to, to, think, yeah. I'd like to think that a lot of us have, have heard them and absorbed them and transfer them to younger people in our lives, but the fact is that when, when we were 18 years old, there, there wasn't the awareness and there wasn't the mm-hmm. discussion. And it was today. still the woman's responsibility. The men's role, the man's role was to push as far as he could and the woman's role was to hold him off. And people, and you're right, Bob, I mean, I feel like one of the things that we're all battling is that we're saying this to younger people, but they learned it from adults right. who mm-hmm. still support those exact right. the exact kinds of things Liz was the attaboy about. attitude toward young men. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. many times when we've been out, we also distribute flyers during Little Five Hundred Week because again, that's a time when mm-hmm. incidents go up. And a lot of times, you know, we've handed a flyer to a man, and he said, "Okay, great, I'll give this to my friend who's a girl. You know, I'll give this to my women friends." Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know. One of the things that we're really building on at Middleway House is a male allies and prevention program. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking for men who want to come in and work with us um, to talk about this. You know, to you know, there are male victims of this as well. This is not mm-hmm. something that only women experience, and we want to be able to provide services to men who call us and say, "I experienced this," which is a very difficult thing to do for anyone, and I think because of our culture, more difficult for men. Um, and we want to be right. able to provide them services and provide them with someone they're comfortable with, which is mm-hmm. probably more likely a man. So, yeah. And there are men who are victimized by virtue of having their girlfriend, daughter, friend, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody victimized. Yeah. And yeah. we we often don't even address their needs, but I just want to point out that both Middle Way and Sexual Assault Crisis Service on campus will provide support to mm-hmm. um, partners, husbands, sons, parents of and friends yes. of, of people who women who have been victimized or men, but right. either one. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we have to take a break. We've been – we're going a little late because the conversation <laughs> is so interesting. Uh, our topic today is, is safety, particularly from sexual assault, safety on campus. Um, if you have questions or comments, phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for the Monroe County United Ministries annual food drive. Volunteers will be at many of the Bloomington and Ellettsville area grocery stores distributing information on the growing demand for food assistance in our community and collecting donations made by shoppers. The Monroe County United Ministries annual food drive takes place this Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 4. More at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Liz Hannibal from Middleway House, Carol McCord from the Office of Women's Affairs at Indiana University, and Debbie Malone Ruiz from IU Sexual Assault Crisis Services. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Several different topics we want to get into in the second half of the program. Um, the first thing I want to do, though, is we really haven't talked about numbers. So if, if I could just ask um, all of you, any of you, to talk about the – I know we, I always hear a number of – you know, the percentage of women that are expected to experience sexual assault in their lifetime, uh, what that number is, and also what kind of numbers do we see you know, on campus in terms of – and middle way? What, and, and how are the trends going? There are a lot of questions thrown into one. Yeah. Well, the numbers thing is really – is just very difficult. I mean it's, it's an extremely confusing topic and it's difficult to get accurate information on this, which I think everybody understands. It's something mm. that it's – painful to come forward about whether you've been a perpetrator or victim. But so the number one in four and number one in eight were the numbers that many of us have used for a long time. Our office has been using those in all of the programs we've been presenting for a number of years now. Um, One in four being lifetime sexual assaults and one in eight being during college. And and if you think about that, that means in a four-year time period – you are at risk for 50%, 50% experience 50% of the risk. So a different way to put that is that when you come to college, your risk for sexual assault increases. And there are a number of reasons, some of which we've addressed at some length before now. We're just this summer looking through some newer numbers, and we're now using one in six, which is from the Department of Justice um, statistic that they – from a study that they did in 1966 and, 60, and ni- 1996 and 97, <laughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. um, with a sample set of – the largest sample set of college university st- um, students that was – has been sampled by a group that's pretty well respected. So one in six is pretty close to one in four and one in eight. In fact, it's right mm-hmm. in right right the middle. middle. Yeah, so. if, you, if you sort of put that in some sort of perspective, I mean if that means if, if you have two sets of four women who are living together in – you know, two apartments that the statistics say that one of those women is going to be a uh, right. victim of mm-hmm. sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And very possibly if you use a one in six, two of them are going to be a victim of sexual assault during their campus career. Let's back That's up just, just a little bit and define mm-hmm. sexual assault because I, I'm not sure that everybody's clear on that. Um, the definition that was used by this – by the Department of Justice for this was I believe um, vaginal, oral, anal intercourse um, and – 
I think that was all they used. They used something that clearly fit the definition of all – that all states – and this is another issue because different states, of course, have differently worded um, – Definition. Well, the statutes in each state are slightly differently worded, but we tend to use something that's sort of inclusive of all types of sexual assault. So mm-hmm. that's what that would be. I my opinion is that anything that's sexual that's without a, in a, without somebody's consent mm-hmm. is assault. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would agree with that. I actually that's a, a narrower definition that I might have than I might have expected. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think of it that way, then what we know is that there are more people who have experienced something outside that limited definition. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are the trend lines at Middleway? Um, well, in 2006, we served 41 students, which was about 35 percent of the clients that we offered services to, specifically um, those who were victims of sexual assault. Um, that's a little lower percentage-wise um, of our total um, than it has been in the past years, but those numbers have stayed pretty much the same. And mm-hmm. again, those are people who have who have reported or not even necessarily reported. They've come to us and talked mm-hmm. um, and people um, are more likely to, to talk to, you know, a crisis line than they are to report. You know, right. I believe the statistic I have is 5 percent report um, mm-hmm. a sexual assault. And, mm-hmm. and Debbie, with your office, how, how many students might you see in a, in a year? Do you have that kind of statistic? Well, I don't have that number yeah. specifically mm-hmm. because we see um, – individual students who've also experienced sexual assault in the past yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it might be that they were uh, sexually abused as a child or an adolescent. So um, I don't have the specific number with me mm-hmm. as to how many people we serve exclusively for rapes on yes. campus. It's mm-hmm. fair to say you're quite busy. Yeah. <laughs> All <is>. right. <laughs> we have a phone call. Let's go to the phone. And Morgan is on the line. Morgan? Yes. All right. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, just uh, enjoying your conversation about... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, parties and uh, college kids going to them. I was kind of curious just listening to it uh, in terms of what to tell men and what to tell women, that nobody was talking about just wisdom in general and the idea of going to a party might not be a wise choice. And when you're talking about consent, as soon as you you get in the context of um, everybody there basically consuming alcohol, the whole idea of consent gets blurry by the nature of the alcohol. And, and another thing I might bring up would be that, um, you know, when I'm talking to my children um, about, you know, sex at, at that age, um, I might let them know that uh, uh, having sex before marriage or having it with different, you know, multiple partners over a certain amount, amount of years hasn't made my life easier, but it has made it more complicated. And that those experiences on the whole maybe haven't enriched my heart as much as they have left scars on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Reaction? Well, I, I, I want to just jump to that no administrator or faculty member on campus is encouraging students to, one, drink, two, have parties at which alcohol is served, or three, have sexual um, contact under those circumstances. Uh, Rather, we're responding to the realities of what it is that we see happening. And as much as I would like to be able to impart my values to the students that they would perhaps make different types of choices than some of these, I think it's it's just would be irresponsible of those of us in the kind of doing the kind of work that Liz Debbie and I are that to not recognize the circumstance that they are finding themselves in. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and Morgan, if you would, I'm not sure I followed the last part of what you were saying. Could you, could you sort um, of summarize well, that for me? Well, there's, we just, as a culture, I mean, in general, in the United States, we just talk about um, sex as you know everyone's right to do it, and we do have the right to do it. Um, but nobody talks about um, the ramifications of it. In other mm-hmm. words, when I deal with a, a lot of adults, you know, people who are several years away from college, on the other side of it. And so many problems that adults have or hang-ups or issues in their lives come from relationships that were sexual by nature when they were in college or when they were in high school. And it seems to be nobody kind of, you know, mentions the fact that there is a, there's a downside to having sex at, at that age. Mm-hmm. I would just say, I mean, as Carol was saying, we as... as um, 
professionals aren't, you know, it's it's not within our role to impart our values to the student body, whereas you as a parent, then that is something that, you know, all of us as parents can have those kinds of discussions about, you know, our own life experiences and, and where we... Um, believe you know is best to make the choices that that we would want our children to make. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, go ahead, Carol. I was going to say. I, well, you know, you. I appreciate where you're coming from, Morgan. There are many people who have different views about um, sexual activities or behaviors, and that's fine too. But I, I would hope that as a group, we all would agree that it is never okay, regardless of when or under what circumstances one chooses to have sex to have sex with someone against their will. Absolutely, without a doubt. All right, Morgan. Well, thanks a lot for the call. All right, thanks for taking it. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. It seems like there's plenty of work to be done on this issue, and I'm really glad that you all are and your organizations are out in the community. What do you do to work together um, as a united force to, to combat this problem? We have several different ways. Well, <clears throat> one of the things is that I, I work on campus, and so does Debbie. So Liz is really the one whose organization is working more out in the community. Um, but we all work together on campus in terms of when I'm when my groups are doing programs, for instance, we talk about their opportunities to get services both through a sexual assault crisis service, Debbie, and through Middleway. We also all end up being supportive of the student groups who are working on these issues. So there is a group that I have out of my office, as I said, that does peer present presentations called RAISE, and there's there are a number of other student groups on campus that work on these issues, and they come together for periodically for events such as Take Back the Night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a student group, Friends of Middleway House, that works specifically with Middleway House. But our group, these student groups all work together mm-hmm. to get these messages out. In I, I was just thinking, I know that like the United Way presidents all get together at the, of the different agencies and, and have meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of a summit meeting almost on a regular basis. And I wondered if that was something you guys did so everybody knew what the other group was up to. We've done this historically over the years in many different formats. There's a, there was a group of, of people in the community who get together and compare actually case notes on, on things. And I think you all still participate in that, or I don't know if that kind of dissolved for everybody. Mm-hmm. We do that on campus, and then we talk to one another on a fairly regular basis about different kinds of issues. There's just we're, we're in such contact on so many at so many different times. So this is the second time I've seen Liz in two weeks. <laughs> we're at the same events over and over. Mm-hmm. It's a, kind of an ongoing kind of interaction. Well, I, I want to um, take a quick... Oh, go ahead. Did you oh, want to say I was just going to say there's also on campus a commission for personal safety that there's a lot of representation from various student groups and departments on campus and um, and Middleway has sat on that commission as well in the past and so that's another place where we come together to look at kind of educational things we can do policy that sort of thing as well and on campus there are a number of groups that all have we have to work to coordinate together too. We yeah, have Dean right. of Students Office and the Police Department and Sexual Assault Crisis Service and and Student Ethics and Student Advocates and it goes on. Okay, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, and I'm concerned we haven't talked about uh, GLBT issues and sexual assault. And I'm wondering um, if those uh, folks bring any special challenges, or if there's anything we need to address uh, specifically to that group, those groups. Well, I think sometimes for GLBT clients, they're, if they are not out yet as being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgendered, then to um, come forth for their, for their assault may also sort of cause them to be out as mm-hmm. well. And so that can be uh, something that can be um, a barrier for them if, if, again, they aren't comfortable. And I think all of our offices work very hard to um, be in contact with the GLBT support services on campus and to be gay-friendly and let um, folks know that, you know, we we know that gay and lesbian um, persons are sexually assaulted um, both by heterosexual people as well as by um, other gay and lesbian people and so that that's something that, you know, we want to offer our services for those folks as well. Is Middleway on board with that as well? Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we are always, always willing 
especially through our crisis line, that's usually, I would say, where we would um, be talking with these folks. And, you know, if we can't provide them with resources they feel comfortable with, we are always able to refer them out. We have a giant wall with <laughs> hundreds of resources <laughs> on it, um, but we definitely will serve any victim. And I just want to add, there's another group. All of us sitting here are white. Mm-hmm. And that um, one of the things we see in our office is that women of color and um, women of different um, ethnic backgrounds, people who are visiting here from other countries to to study, Mm -hmm. for instance, may find it harder to come to our (laughs) services because of that. And um, that's not an unusual situation. We all, I think, face that as a -hmm. a challenge. Mm -hmm. We'd provide services absolutely happily. And we would love to be able to reach out to, to mm-hmm. people, but those are those are groups that are hard to reach out to as well. What an excellent point. On top mm-hmm. of having to deal with everything else, there may be some language issues and right. certainly mm-hmm. cultural, cultural barriers. Issues, yeah. Right, right. That's mm-hmm. an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really surprised we haven't gotten more calls today, but we still have about eight minutes to go. So if anybody wants to call. <laughs> Maybe they're too hot to dial their phones. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, no, I, actually, I it's think they there. might just yeah. be too fascinated by the conversation. <laughs> 855-0811, 877-285-9345. Four, eight, or noon at indiana.edu. Yeah, we are coming very close to the end of the program. I wanted to, a couple things I wanted to ask about. One is the, the, the orientation program. And, you know, what kinds of things do you tell incoming students? And I think we've talked about many of them before, but I want to be able to reiterate in case we've got some freshmen who are moving in today. <laughs> um, so when you have the orientation, orientation programs for students who are coming in, you know, what kinds of messages do you give? It's, it's pretty challenging. We've got uh, um, less than an hour with them to get everything across. And one of the things we want to do is, is address some of the kinds of issues we're, we're addressing right now. We've been talking about in this hour kinds of things about how you keep people – you keep yourself aware and prevent things from occurring in the first place. We also f- want really to make sure that everybody has information – just an awareness because there's no way they're going to remember everything that gets mm-hmm. thrown at them in orientation. Right. So they're not going to remember the name of Middleway House or Sexual Assault Crisis Service. But we get those names out there in front of them. So we, we make them aware that there are resources available to support them if they or a friend experiences a sexual assault and places that they can go to talk to people. Um, it's really – really hard to talk to people who are coming – freshmen who are coming in. There's a feeling among – them of this is not something that pertains to me. Mm-hmm. No one imagines oneself to be a victim. People don't come to college planning to be a victim. And as we said, the men are not coming thinking oh, this is going to be my opportunity to rape for the next three freely for the next four years. And women don't come thinking my, I'm raising my opportunity for my risk for sexual assault by 50 percent by coming to college. These are just not what's on people's minds. And so you have to, as Liz was saying, not scare people, but give uh-huh. them information that can help them make good choices mm-hmm. and good decisions. So what we try to do is help them to become aware. You're going to be in an environment that's going to have alcohol, that's going to have parties. As much as we might like to support Morgan's views, we, I mean, that's not what they're going to be experiencing when they get here with their peers. Mm-hmm. And here are some of the things that we encourage you to be aware of as you're dealing with those circumstances. And because so much information is thrown out to freshmen, that's why I think it's very important that we have, you know, flyers or Middleway House puts out our trifolds in the community. A lot of these are in our bathrooms, mm-hmm. you know, are in bathrooms mm-hmm. at yeah. restaurants or, you know, mm-hmm. doctor's offices. I've also seen Saks has, you know, magnets. And I, I know you were mm-hmm. passing some of those out the other day um, right. at the RA fair. And I think having those things where people can see them and know that they, you know, know that exists if, you know, they just glance at the wall mm-hmm. is really important because right. that information does disappear. Well, I, all three of your programs are so important. Uh, it, I worry about funding. Where does all of your funding come from? And um, I want to make sure these have an opportunity to continue. Thank you. Um, it, we're funded by the university. Um, and, of course, right now the university is stretched and state funds are low. So um, we're not an income-producing unit, so it's hard for us to have funds. We've received some funds through some st- through student um, contributions this past year, which are going to go to support the sexual assault pr- um, peer educators for the mm. first time, which is good because we're just about to lose that program. Okay. Debbie? Um, we also are funded by the university. Um, and one thing that I didn't get a chance to say is that all of our services are free for students, so they can come for counseling to deal with sexual assault. Um, and, and there's no charge to them. It's also confidential, so um, it's not reported to anyone if they're they're coming um, to us. So the um, we're part of the health center and the health fee. There the health center assesses a health fee each year, and so our funding uh, comes through that. 
Okay, corner of 10th and Jordan. Yes, 10th okay. and Jordan. Liz? Um, Middle Way House is a United Way agency, so part of our funding comes from that. Um, we also have a wonderful community of donors um, who are especially really stepping up right now as we um, start to build our new building at mm-hmm. the Coca-Cola plant on Washington Street. Um, we also have various fundraiser events, and our next fundraiser is actually um, Night at the Opera, which will be held on September 8th. Um, 5 p.m. we'll be serving hors d'oeuvres, 6 p.m. is the performance, and then 7.30 is dessert. So RSVP to 333-7404 for, and, or for more information. Okay. okay the food's have, always yummy and the, and the music's always good. Yeah. yeah. We have just uh, two minutes, three, two, almost three minutes to go. But we have a phone call. Let's go to Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Jennifer? Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry to jump in at the last minute. That's quite but, right. But uh, I do want to um, add one little bit, a uh, little piece of research that's just come out from uh, Zoe Peterson at the Kinsey Institute. And um, she found that a lot of students that she interviewed didn't really make a distinction between consent and wantedness. So in other words, a lot of young women out there um, are feeling that if they have any sexual desire at all, then they have no right to say they didn't consent to an act. And I think that that's something that we have to be aware of when we're dealing with this population. Sexuality is is a huge part of uh, of everybody's experience at this age, and it's you know it's okay to feel sexually attracted, but that's not the same thing as giving consent. Okay. Wow. Well Thank put. You. Thank you, yes. Jennifer. Yeah. Thanks, Jennifer. I can want chocolate ice cream and decide against it, that's and right. no one questions my right. decision. All right, All right, Jennifer. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, we have one minute to go, so I want each of you to have last opportunity to offer you know, a piece of advice to the students on campus about being safe. What's your you know, best thought? Um, just, you know, I want to let students know to stick with your friends, support your friends. We all are in this together. Take care of your friends. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I second Carol, that completely. Second and, and, and beyond that, to, to um, challenge, give yourself permission to um, perhaps be a little bit um, judicious with that helping your friends go further mm-hmm. than you than you might feel like you can do. Yeah, they may be mad at you at that moment, right. but they'll thank you in the morning. And even if they don't, you've made a right decision. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Debbie? Right. Yeah, I would say particularly for women to, to really um, give yourself permission to take care of yourself and, and your friends. I mean, kind of the same thing, to stand up if, if something's happening that you don't like, to, you know, state it, to get out of a situation and, um, and know that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Well, thank you very much for being here. We are out of time. I want to thank Liz Hannibal, Carol McCord, and Debbie Malone-Ruiz for producer Catherine Hageman, my co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.